I want you to be honest with yourself for a moment and think about the kind of people that you are not really comfortable spending time around. I'm not saying that you wouldn't say hello to them or that you wouldn't be kind to them if you saw them somewhere in public, but the kind of people that you would not seek out friendship with, the kind of people you would not choose to start a significant conversation with. You wouldn't want to meet them for dinner, and you certainly wouldn't want to invite them to your house or go over to theirs. Maybe it's people who make a lot more or a lot less money than you that you don't really like being around, you're uncomfortable being around. Maybe it's people of a different religion. Maybe it's people of a different skin color, people who speak a different language. Maybe it's people whose lifestyle contradicts biblical morality. And... Believe me, I know this is a very uncomfortable way to start a sermon, right? It's not really the way I want to start this sermon because it makes me uncomfortable too. Partly because I want you to like what I'm saying, right? Um, But also because I know who those people are for me. And it's uncomfortable, it's convicting to think about the fact that there are people I don't love the way that I should. Jesus had a habit of interacting with people that plenty of other people wanted nothing to do with. Tax collectors, like Matthew, Zacchaeus, lepers, people who were blind. One time, a sinful woman from the city who came and washed Jesus' feet with her tears. And the story we're going to focus on today, the woman from Samaria. Jesus over and over loved, cared for, talked to, ate with people that were outcasts, unloved, unlovable in the eyes of many. Jesus loved them still. And the good news for us is that if Jesus loved people like them, that means he can love people like you and me, who don't even love other people well all the time. So let's look in our Bibles together to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. I know this is starting kind of heavy, but I promise you there's going to be good news by the end. All right, John, chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now this is a long story, so we're not going to cover it all this morning. There's just too much here. Uh, But we're going to read through verse 15, and I'm even going to pull in some things from later in the story. But as far as what we're going to start out reading, I'm just going to read through verse 15 of John 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. 
So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now, the story begins by telling us why Jesus leaves Judea, that's the area around Jerusalem, why he leaves Judea and heads for Galilee. Galilee is in the north, Judea is in the south, and in between is Samaria. And it says that Jesus learned, in verse 1, that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Right? And that's why, in verse 3 it says, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Why does that information make Jesus decide to leave? Well, John doesn't spell it out for us, but I think he's given us enough information to figure it out. Because back in chapter 1, when John was baptizing, do you remember what happened? The Pharisees sent a delegation of people to John the Baptist to question him. Who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Are you the Christ, the Messiah? And remember, John answered no to all those questions. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. I'm not the Messiah. And they said, well, then why are you baptizing if you're not any of those people? Right? Now, Jesus is baptizing, although John tells us it's not actually Jesus doing the baptizing. It's his disciples. He's just sort of overseeing the baptizing. Jesus hears that the Pharisees have gotten wind of the fact that Jesus is now baptizing more people than John is. So what are the Pharisees likely to do? They're likely to come start questioning Jesus. Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Are you the Messiah? Now here's the thing. Jesus can't answer no to all those questions. He's not Elijah... But he is the prophet, like Moses promised from Deuteronomy 18. And he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. So I think John intends for us to infer from this, Jesus is not yet ready to publicly declare that he is the Messiah. And he knows that if he stays there at the Jordan and keeps baptizing, the Pharisees are going to come ask him that question. 
And Jesus, of course, is not going to lie, but he's not yet ready to say publicly, I'm the Messiah. If you read the Gospel stories, it's very rare for Jesus to acknowledge that he is the Christ until he gets close to his death. Now, that might seem like not a big deal, but there's a reason why John sets up this story of Jesus talking to the woman at Samaria with that little detail about Jesus' itinerary. Right? Well, this, isn't this just geography? Why do we care where Jesus is? Why do we care where he's going? Here's why we care. Because Jesus left off baptizing at the Jordan to avoid being asked by the Pharisees whether or not he was the Christ. But when he went into Samaria and talked to the woman of Samaria at the well, you know what he told her? I'm the Christ. They get into a a theological conversation about where they should worship. And she says, well, you know, when the Messiah comes, he'll answer all these questions. And Jesus says, verse 26, I who speak to you am he. Why does he tell her? when he didn't want to tell the Pharisees? That's a tough question. But it highlights for us how significant it is that Jesus told this woman who he was when he left his ministry of baptism at the Jordan River to avoid telling the Pharisees yet who he is. But he told this woman who he is. Why is that such a big deal? Well, notice it says in verse 4 that he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. Now, again, Samaria is between Judea and Galilee. So in a sense, if you're going to leave Judea and go to Galilee, I mean, Samaria is the way to go. But it's not the only way. So I'm inclined to agree with those who say there's more to Jesus having to pass through Samaria than just the geography, than just the route. It's not just about saving time. He's got a divine appointment. There's someone he needs to meet with. There's someone he needs to talk to. That's why he has to go through Samaria, which, by the way, most Jews would likely not want to do, as we'll see in just a moment. So he has to pass through Samaria. What's so significant about this place? Why is it important that this woman he's going to talk to is a woman of Samaria? Why is it important that he had to pass through Samaria? Well, Samaria in the New Testament is a different place than it was in the Old Testament. All right, so in the Old Testament... You remember after Solomon died, King Solomon died, the kingdom of Israel was divided. And so the northern part was called Israel. The southern part was called Judah. Jerusalem was in Judah. That's where the temple was. That's where the kings from David's line were. And Israel in the northern kingdom, their capital was Samaria. All right, so Samaria used to be a part of Israel. But here's what happened. The northern kingdom of Israel, because they persisted in idolatry, For years and years and years, eventually, 
God allowed the Assyrian people to come take Israel into exile. They conquered Israel, they took over Samaria, and they took the people of Israel away from Israel into exile. And then here's what happened. This is in 2 Kings chapter 17. It says, The king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvaim. And most of those places you've never heard of, you just know they're not Jewish places. They're not part of Israel. Babylon, you've heard of. You know those guys, right? The king of Assyria brought people from all those places and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. So when we get to the New Testament, Samaria is no longer a part of Israel and it's no longer inhabited by Jews. It's inhabited by people who are apparently descendants of these pagan nations who worshipped foreign gods. Because here's what 2 Kings goes on to say. It says, One of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and lived in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. I'm shortening the story, but the king of Assyria decides, okay, they need a priest from Israel to go live there. And so they send a priest from Israel to live there. But here's the thing. Israel just got taken into exile for their idolatry, so I'm not at all sure that this priest is actually a good priest who's going to teach them all the right things about God, right? And in fact, what ends up happening is this. It says, so they feared the Lord, but also served their own gods after the manner of the nations among whom they had been carried away. So, the Samaritans are people who are not Jewish, who do not practice the Jewish religion, but who live in a land connected to Judaism. And they probably have intermingled and intermarried with the Jewish people as well by this point, but they're not Jews. Their religion was different. They worshipped in a different place. As the woman we'll talk to Jesus about later. Um, They disagreed with the Jews over worship, over location and whatnot. Um, So in that sense, one of the closest connections that we can make to our own experience today is uh, the Samaritans were similar to Muslims, right? Because they had a, they shared a a heritage with uh, Jews going back to Abraham. The the woman at the well later is going to talk about our father, Jacob, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob gave us this well. The Muslims, uh, Muslim people also trace their heritage back to Abraham. Right? So they had some common roots with the Jews, but they had a significant uh, religious disagreement. And they were different ethnically as well, at least at some level. Right? And they didn't get along. Just like a fair number of Muslims and Jews don't get along today. So that's kind of our point of reference for who the Samaritans were, and how the Jews felt about the Samaritans at that time. Now, Jesus could have avoided the whole situation that's about to unfold. He did not have to talk to the woman that he's about to talk to. Though in one sense he had to pass through Samaria, there were other ways to travel to Galilee. 
The situation Jesus is about to step into was fraught with animosity and tension that went back hundreds of years. But he didn't avoid it. He walked right into it and planted the seeds of salvation and healing. Because you know what? Later, after Jesus' death and resurrection, before he ascends into heaven, what's he going to tell his disciples? The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and where? And Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You're going to go to the people I went to who you've been taught not to like, and you're going to tell them about me, and they're going to be saved. Some of them are going to be saved right here in this chapter when they hear about what Jesus told the woman and then get to hear from Jesus himself. Jesus did not avoid what most people would want to avoid. He walked into it for their good, for their salvation. Because that's the kind of thing that Jesus does. It's the kind of thing that Jesus did over and over and over. Now, there's a, there's a whole other layer to this story as well, because the next thing we're told is that he came to Jacob's well, right? Verse 6, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Now, what's significant about that? One thing that's significant about that is it shows us Jesus is truly human, right? He got tired. He was thirsty. But even more, well, maybe not more, but in addition to that, here's something else that's significant about what's going on here. This is one of those things, you probably have things like this too, where you hear somebody explain something you've never heard before and it just sticks with you for years and years and years. I heard this, I don't know, maybe, maybe close to 20 years ago. And it has never left me, and it's only uh, increasingly bore fruit in my understanding of what's going on in the Bible, and in particular in this story. Back in the Old Testament, when Abraham wanted a wife for his son Isaac, he sent his servant in Genesis 24 to go and find a, a wife for Isaac from among their kinsmen. And do you remember where that servant encountered the woman who would become Isaac's wife? He encountered her at a well. He encountered her at a well. He came to a well and he prayed and he said, Lord, I need you to show me the woman that my master Isaac is supposed to marry and he, he, here will be the sign. And here came Rebekah. The sign was fulfilled, and she ended up coming to marry Isaac. Just a little bit later, when, in Genesis, when Jacob fled from his brother Esau, he ended up at a well. And at that well, guess who he met? Rachel, who would later become his wife. In the book of Exodus... When Moses killed the Egyptian who was beating the Hebrew, and then he discovered that it had been found out that he had murdered that guy, and so he fled from Egypt, he ended up at a well. You guys see where this is going yet? 
He ended up at a well where he met the daughters of the priests of Midian, one of which became his wife. Exodus chapter 2. That's what we call a pattern. You, it happens often enough that you start to expect it. Man goes to well, man finds wife, right? That's what happens. So what is Jesus doing at this well in Samaria? He's looking for a bride. In Samaria? Are you serious? Yes. Remember, these big numbers in our Bible... John didn't put those there. Matthew didn't put those there. Just a few verses before the verses we're reading. What did John the Baptist say about Jesus? He's the bridegroom. Not me. Because he's got the bride. And now he's at a well where we expect Jewish men to find their brides. And in case we missed it, when we get to the end of the story of chapter 4, he's going to tell us, Verse 46, so he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. Where was he when he made the water wine? At a wedding. So you've got bookends around this story about Jesus being at a wedding, about Jesus being the bridegroom. In the middle, you have a story where Jesus goes to a well and we know what happens in the Bible when a man goes to a well. He finds his wife. Now, Jesus, of course, never married. His bride is the church. His bride is the people of God, all those who believe in him, all those who trust in him. So why is Jesus at a well in Samaria? Because he did not come only for the Jewish people. He came also for the Samaritans, He came also for the Gentiles. He came for people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. Later in the Gospel of John, Jesus is going to put it this way. John 10, 16. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. In other words, they're not Jews. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. I can't help but hear there. He had to pass through Samaria. Why? Because I've got other sheep that I must bring also. And this woman is one of them. And not just this woman, but many of the people in her town. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. There are hints of this in the Old Testament too. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament? The guy who had the fancy coat because he was the favorite son. And he was hated by his brothers, got sold into slavery in Egypt, and guess what he did there? He married a woman who was the daughter of uh, an Egyptian priest. Presumably, she was an Egyptian herself. Joseph's one of the most righteous, upstanding men in the Old Testament. He didn't marry marry a Jewish woman. He married an Egyptian woman. Moses, Numbers 12, chapter, chapter 12, verse 1 says that Moses married a woman from Cush. Definitely not Israel. Boaz famously married Ruth, who was a Moabite woman. God promised Abraham 
In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's what Jesus is up to. That's why Jesus had to go through Samaria. That's why Jesus sits down at a well at Samaria to signal that he has come here to find his bride. That's why it's significant that Jesus meets here with a Samaritan woman. Both of those things are significant. It's significant that she's a Samaritan, and it's significant that she's a woman. When she comes to the well in the middle of the day, Jesus says to her, give me a drink. He's by himself. The disciples are gone. And so verse 9, it says, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it? In other words, what is going on here? How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then John explains to us, therefore, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. They live over there. We live over here. We don't interact. We don't talk. We don't get along. We don't have dealings. So much so that you don't even ask me for a drink if you're thirsty. That's how much we don't like each other. So how in the world, this woman is saying, are you asking for me to give you a drink? Don't don't you know who I am? i got a pretty good idea who you are. And it's implied here that if Jesus is going to receive a drink from this woman, he's going to have to drink from her jar. Because she says to him, verse 11, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. You don't don't have your own vessel. So how? If he's going to get a drink from her, he's... It's not just that she's going to pull it out of the well. He's probably going to drink out of her own pot, her own jar. But she's baffled by this. But it's not just that she's a Samaritan. It's also that she's a woman. Right? He's a Jewish man. She's a Samaritan woman. Jewish men didn't even talk to each other. The Jewish men definitely didn't talk to Samaritan women. Later, when Jesus' disciples come back, verse 27, it says they marveled that he was talking with a woman. Not just that he was talking with a Samaritan, but that he was talking to a woman. You just didn't do that. So Jesus is breaking down all kinds of barriers. He's doing all kinds of things that most people wouldn't do. He's entering into... Divisions and hostilities that most people don't want to touch. And he's putting his finger right on the problem and saying, I'm going to do something about this. Because I came for all kinds of people, including people like this woman. Now, can I just ask you a question about that? 
Don't you want to be like Jesus? Don't you want it to be easy for you to love the people that it's hard for you to love? Don't you want it to be natural for you to love the people around you that all kinds of other people are telling you to hate and ignore and dismiss? Don't you want to have nothing but the fullest love in your heart for every person you encounter? I'm not like that. But I want to be. Don't you want to be? I don't want to be the kind of person who would walk by Jesus in this moment and go, what are you doing talking to her? Don't you know who she is? Don't you know who we are? Don't you know we don't, we don't do that? We don't mix. We don't talk. We don't like each other. I want to be the person who walks by and go, that's what I'm talking about. Finally, somebody's got the courage to bridge this gap. This woman's made in the image of God. This woman's loved by God. Who cares that she grew up in Samaria? Jesus is not even really worried all that much about the fact that she's got the wrong religion. He's going to fix that in just a little bit. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that includes Samaritans and Gentiles. That includes men and women. That includes people from all over the world. He came to give living water to those who drink out of dry and broken cisterns. Do you you remember these words from Jeremiah? This is Jeremiah 2, verses 12 and 13. These words apply to the Samaritan woman, and they apply to all of us, I think. God says, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. Listen to what they are. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. God says, I'm the fountain of living waters. And do you know what sin is? Do you know what idolatry is? Idolatry is when God is here with the fountain of living water and you say, no thank you, I'll dig my own well, I will get my own water. And guess how good we are at that? Guess what we end up with when we do that? Garbage. Nasty water. The gods we make for ourselves are no gods at all. They can't hear, they can't speak, they can't walk, they can't talk. The Bible says they certainly can't save or give life. They're not alive themselves. So what does Jesus say to the Samaritan woman? Give me a drink. And she's like, why are you talking to me? And he says, well, let me tell you something, actually, now that we're talking. Verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, 
you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Do you hear the good news in that? All she had to do was ask. All she had to do was ask. He said, if you knew who I was and you asked me, I would give you living water. I wouldn't charge you for it. I wouldn't say, wait a minute, we've got to work out all your religious theological problems first. You need to become a Jew first. We're going to have to you know, get you relocated to Jerusalem. You can't live in Samaria. None of that. If you knew who I was, and you asked me for a drink, I'd give you living water. I'd give you eternal life. I'd save you right now. All you have to do is ask me. That's who I am. That's what I'm here to do. She doesn't understand. She gets confused. right? What, how are you going to do that? You don't even have a way to draw water. How are you going to give me this water? Where are you going to get it? This is Jacob's well. You know how great Jacob is? Are you, are you greater than Jacob? Yeah, Jesus is saying. Yeah, I am greater than Jacob. Jacob was waiting for me to come. And now I'm here. And here's what I want to tell you, verse 13 and 14. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now again, the woman misunderstands, right? She thinks, well, that sounds great. Then I won't have to come draw water anymore. He's not talking about physical water. He's not saying you won't ever have to take a drink of water again. He's saying he's got something better than water. But it's like water. It, it quenches the thirst of your soul. You will have a well in you, welling up, overflowing with eternal life, spilling over into other people's lives as you point them to Jesus like this woman is going to do later in this chapter. Jesus came to give eternal life to anyone who asks. And, and here's what we need to understand about this part of the story so far. Right? Unless you are ethnically Jewish, you're like the Samaritan woman. You're a Gentile. You're an outsider. You're the one Paul was talking about in Ephesians 2 when he says, Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You had no claim on God. You had no connection to Israel. You had nothing going for you. You were an outsider. You were like that Samaritan woman. And unless you are a self-righteous Pharisee, which has its own problems, then you're like the tax collectors, the blind men, the lepers, the sinful woman. You're a sinner, an outcast, unclean. But Jesus sought you out. Jesus came looking for you. There are plenty of people that didn't want him to. There are plenty of people that thought you should have been left right where you are. But Jesus didn't care. He loved you anyway. 
He came and found you. He came and talked to you. He came and said to you, if you'll just ask me, if you'll just ask me, I will give you eternal life. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is turn to Him. All you have to do is trust in Him. And once you have, once you've met Jesus, like this Samaritan woman met Jesus, once you've asked Him, Lord, save me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, make me yours. Once He's done that for you, what's your next step? Where do you need to go? Who do you need to talk to? What worldly dividing lines do you need to cross as you follow Jesus? What people do you need to love that other people are telling you to hate or ignore? You now have a well of living water in you, just waiting to spill over into the lives of others. And Jesus was real clear about what he wanted us to do with that. Go and make disciples, not of the people just like you only, but of all the nations. Go rub shoulders with people you're not really comfortable with yet. Go take the gospel to people who don't look like you, talk like you, worship like you. People of different religions, different languages, different ethnicities, different economic status. Go into all the world and make disciples and invite them to drink of the living water that only Jesus can give and that he gave to the likes of you and me. Let's pray.